Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. The practice we're doing here this week is very much based on, um, uh, as as a, at the center of it, as mindfulness, or have you noticed? <laughs> <laughs> and in the Buddha's teaching, uh, in this one discourse, the Satipatthana Sutta, this this one teaching. Uh, where is laid the f- what we call the foundations of mindfulness. So where one is invited to put uh, their attention in order to develop wisdom and to open the heart and release any misunderstanding about the nature of reality. Or These are different ways to talk about this, but in we use a lot of uh, what we teach here and what is taught in the insight tradition is a lot around this discourse, the foundation, where to put your attention. So one of the big aspects is everything that is physical in a way. And we've been pointing to this in different ways, you know. Everything that is physical, meaning the posture you're in. Can you be aware that you're sitting as you're sitting, lying down or walking? Do you recognize something in there? So the physicality, of the materiality of our experience uh, in the posture, in the breathing, can you notice the breathing? Can you notice the senses, the materiality, the physicality through the senses, hearing, seeing, tasting, etc.? So the, sens- the sensory awareness. Um, so these are ways that we talk about that. You could think of it as a chapter or all area area of investigation uh, where one can put mindfulness. So everything that has to do with the body. There's another area in the teaching where we say, oh, and we'll maybe we'll talk more about this, where we say, be attentive. You could, if you want, be attentive to everything that is related to experiences of pleasure and displeasure. Be awake in the middle of them. Instead of wanting more of them or fearing them, be awake when something is pleasant or unpleasant or neither one or the other. That's a whole other area of investigation or exploration or wakefulness, simply. Being wakeful, awake in the middle of pleasure, in the middle of displeasure, be it an emotion, an unpleasant emotion, be it pleasure of the taste buds, be it any kind of pleasure or displeasure, or the neutrality of it. And there's a lot of it on retreat, maybe. Maybe not for you, maybe for you this retreat has intensity to it. <coughs> you go from elation to, uh, you know, the pit or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> the underworld. Yeah. And so, uh, but for many of us at different times on retreat, there'll be a lot of neutrality. Like, uh, you know, just breathing, hearing sounds that are not unpleasurable or particularly pleasurable. And can we actually learn to actually stay 
instead of get bored or reactive or doubtful because it's neutral, you know, can we be awake? So the whole field of the body, the field of the pleasant, unpleasant, the field of the mind, emotion, mind states, we've already been pointing to this, you know, when your mind is calm, when your mind is agitated, reactive, fearful, desperate, uh, greedy, wanting something, etc. So do you see these different fields of attention? Yeah, and sometimes they're mixed because I have a strong joy visiting me. It's a mind state, but I can feel it in the body that is uplifted, you know. So it's, and it's pleasant. So whoops, suddenly there's all these fields are mixed together, you know, and we can be awake to this. There's a fourth, uh, in the four foundations of mindfulness, <coughs> there is, a, so this fourth chapter there, and and you, it's totally okay to completely forget this after I've, n- I'm, I've named it, <laughs> okay? Because that's kind of ter- some theory, but I think it's good sometimes to like put it in. You might hear about it in two years again, and suddenly like it starts to. So body, pleasant, unpleasant, mind, and then there's a fourth kind of chapter you could say in the book of mindfulness. You know, there's a fourth chapter. In this chapter, there are particular lists that the Buddha said. Oh. I'll give you a little list of three things, or four things, or five things that you could really be particularly aware of <coughs> as you practice. And that, these lists, these little groups of things that I'm going to name, they're, they have a, they're very uh, potent in terms of uh, if you're interested in freeing the mind. These little lists you should get to know and get to uh, see if you can, how you can become mindful of them in real time, in experience, yeah? One of these lists, I start from far, I'm going like, I'm going to one list only. So I'm like, <laughs> preparing that. So there's one list there, one little list that the Buddha talked about again and again, and many of you will rec- recognize this teaching. So there's one little list of things you could be aware of in your practice. So I'm talking about this tonight in terms of... Uh, application during the retreat. So I want to talk about this so that we can actually put these particular glasses, say, oh, I'm not going to put just the glasses of body awareness. I'm going to put the glasses of the suspense. (laughs) (laughs) Of the four noble truths. The four noble truths, very central Buddhist teaching. And in this it says in this, this teaching actually that the whole mindfulness practice we do is culminating in a deep understanding of these four truths. So everything we do, it's one way to present it, is everything we do is to actually s- at some point really understand deeply what this means. And so tonight I'd like to explore a little, see what we can do with these four, start to name them a little bit so that uh, maybe later tonight or tomorrow at some point you'll put the glasses on or it'll just jump at you. Oh, this is the second one. This is the second truth. I'm in it. <laughs> this is the fourth one. Oh, yeah. Like I know what Pastor was talking about. Like I'm right in it right now. Yeah? To be felt, to be known, to be explored in experience. Right? Okay. So, how many of you, just raising your hand, know about these truths? A bit or a lot, yeah. So we're going through them again. 
<laughs> so be careful if your mind's like, oh, I know this truth. What we're doing for you tonight is revisiting them so that you can apply them in the next walking session. You know, that they can become alive for you. I'm not, I'm not interested in you just knowing the theory of it. What we want, I think, is for you to actually be able to feel it as it's happening, to recognize in experience, yeah? So, again, so I'm removing my glasses of, this is what I want, and this is what should have happened, and this is how I should be, or could have been, or would have been, if, and, you know, all the speculation. So, when I come to retreat, I'm like, okay, I know these glasses really well, you know, I see the world through them all the time, I'm going to put them down and put another pair. And tonight, my suggestion is like, oh, we have these, the Four Noble Truths. You can actually look at any experience you have through these. So let's see what is this frame of reference, this structure, this system. How does this work? Apparently, the Buddha said, in the jungle, you have the footprint of the elephant, and all the footprints of all the other animals fit in the footprint of the elephant, right? And he says, in the same way, the teachings of the Four Noble Truths, all other teachings I teach, they fit in this one. Yeah? And so the truths are stated as uh, just... We say noble truth, but we could think about this as... uh, The way I think about it is the four liberating truths, or not noble truth, but ennobling truth. And if you're... Curious about this, after the retreat, you could look at different teachings, listen to different teachings about it. And there's one that Stephen Batchelor goes around these days, is one author and speaker, teacher, and he talks about the four noble tasks, I think. He thinks of them as tasks. So just to see like different ways to talk about this. So here they are. There is the noble truth of suffering or dissatisfaction, insatisfaction. There is the noble truth of the cause of suffering. There is the noble truth of the end, the end of suffering. And the fourth one is there is the noble truth of the path to the end of suffering. Right? The way they're laid out is a little bit like if you were going to see a doctor and they would say, oh, here is the sem- symptoms, suffering, it's true. You have stress, you're troubled, you're confused. This is what you report to the doctor. These are the symptoms. I don't feel so good about this life, you know, or being me, or something like this, you know. And the doctor says, oh, yeah, here's the diagnosis. Like, what's the cause of this? The cause is uh, clinging or craving, you know. So this is the cause. And then the doctor would say, here's a prognosis for you. How, what, what, we, what is possible with this? Complete healing is possible. Yeah? So there's the end of suffering possible. And then the last one is the kind of the remedy or the prescription. It's the path to the end of suffering. <coughs> so there is suffering. Oh, there is a cause to it. Oh, it's possible to actually not just reduce it some, but remove it so that there is freedom of mind. And here is how we're going to do this. Yeah? So it's a kind of a... It's like the doctor talking to us. Yeah? In the teaching it says that for somebody to think that it's possible for them to experience freedom of mind, 
without understanding even in an intuitive sense, you know, even if you don't know the theory of it, but the felt sense of it. So to experience freedom of mind without understanding the, these truths is like thinking that you can actually build the second house of a story without building the first. Is that possible? No. You need to... So the Buddha says, anybody who has complete wisdom or depth of wisdom will know these. They will know this. They will maybe not explain them in this way, but they will know it internally. So, that's the that's the what we have to do. Um, these truths, the first one of uh, let's use the Pali word dukkha, dukkha, the truth of suffering or dukkha. This is how I'm translating it right now. It said, this one is to be understood. You have to understand this one, not just get rid of it. That's what I like about this the, the task here. The task is to really understand it, it well. Here we have a whole week to soak in it a few seconds a day. <laughs> or have you noticed? Do you agree? You know? <laughs> and so here's a chance for us to reveal the experience of dukkha. Dukkha is a Pali word, and one way is to translate it is that one part of the word, uh, ka, means will. And another part, de, de, means, uh, <laughs> means uh, difficult. And so what it, f- it relates to is, imagine a wheel and the axle in the wheel, and they don't fit well. So you're using this bicycle or chariot, and it's always like wobbly, you know? So that's what the uh, meaning of dukkha so, see if you recognize in your experience the, the <coughs> presence of dukkha in the human life. You know how often we are separated from what we want. Do you know this experience of being separated from what you want? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take not fifteen minutes, but thirty minutes for you tomorrow. <laughs> So that's a universal experience of being separated from what we want. There's so many versions of it. You know you want to be a little calmer, but your mind is a little agitated. You want this person to call, but they don't. You know, you would like to be somebody else, a little bit more <laughs> generous or bright or I don't know what. You know, and here is... We, so you're a little separated from what you want in circumstances inside yourself, physically, mentally. You would like the body to feel aligned and light and you're sitting here and it's kind of crooked and achy and imperfect, right? So it's, uh, it's like this wheel and the axle that don't fit. So the Buddha was seemed to be saying like, life actually, from the perspective of the human being that really is, likes, enjoys security, and uh, pleasantness and comfort, from that perspective, life is a little, you know, unfitted in this way, you know. And so this is how it's presented. So the dukkha, there's different kinds of dukkha. You can recognize the physical dukkha I just named. So things not feeling right physically, you know, uh, dis-ease, you know, diagnosis that we might get, sometimes with aging, uh, there's some dukkha involved in this, you know. 
you have the dukkha of objectivization. You have your body, you would want it to be such and such and such, and it's not behaving like this. It's not, I don't know, shrinking, elongating, uh, you know, uh, youthening, <laughs> you know. And so there's the everything that is related to body experience, dukkha. So, again, in terms of practice, if you want to start playing with this, then that would be the frame of reference as you're sitting, and suddenly it's like, in the leg, like, oh, dukkha, the first noble truth. Yeah? To me, there's something poignant in this. Is like, the way I word it is exactly as the Buddha sa- said it. We're often separated from what we want. And some often, I mean, maybe several times a day, I go, oh, I'm separated from what I would want. Look at that. I would want this, you know, a little bit warmer or cooler or this or that, you know. It's just a little bit, or majorly separated, you know. The death of a loved one, you know, separated uh, dramatically from what we want. So recognizing dukkha as it's happening this week, many opportunities, you know. Uh, yogis usually are re- fellow retreatants, all of them don't behave exactly as we want. You know. They'll put their shoes in our spot, or take our walking spot, or at the end of the yoga, they'll put their chair there, which is my spot. You know. And so, <laughs> physical dukkha, kind of world dukkha, the suffering of living in a system like this, the difficulties of having that many people, and all the systems of oppression, and, uh, and abuse, and... Uh, you know, the lies and the corruption. I mean, there's so much. The poverty, the uh, social uh, inequality, all this. You, we can recognize the difficulty of living in a world like this. The mental dukkha, wanting to feel in a certain way, you know. Wanting clarity when there is confusion. Wanting confidence when there is uh, doubt about self. You know, all these they're called dukkha dukkha because they're really highly recognizable. Yeah? So when you're in it, you can recognize, oh, this is dukkha dukkha. This is human experience. This is painful. I would like to feel a certain way. Here's what, how I feel. You know. So to be really, um, to come close to this, it takes courage. It takes honesty. So not react against, but just become aware of it. Oh, mm. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. In the text, there's one saying that is actually shocking, but I'm going to say it anyway, because w- that's why we're here, to discover the, real, the nature of reality. And the Buddha said, whatever, listen to this, whatever is felt is included in dukkha. That's an intriguing statement. The Buddha says, everything that is felt actually fits in dukkha. So now I just named dukkha dukkha, the most obvious form. There's one that is a little bit more subtle. Uh, it's, let's call it tonight anicca dukkha. So it's the dukkha, the difficulty of change. So when something beautiful is happening and we have an awareness or a sense, even if it's unconscious, there can be a little a sense underlying that this thing might not last. Do you recognize this? Something, you know, at work, somebody praises you. I love the way you did it. 
And you might be able to feel inside of you, but will everybody agree, you know? Or will this person keep that view of me forever, you know, that I'm a good whatever it is, you know? And you can feel the shakiness of even something pleasant, you know, that it's going well, but it, I could lose it, you know? And so the Buddha, when he was naming these truths, he wanted to be thorough. He didn't want to say, oh, yeah, some days it's bad, some days it's good, it's all going to be fine, you know? It was like, let's be really real here. Being a human being is not easy because there are difficult things. There are also pleasant things, but they don't seem to last. They change. So that makes it a little uncertain. I see it often with uh, my friends when they, uh, who they, a lot of them have kids now, and we love the kids, and they're beautiful kids, and they dance for us, and they sing for us, and they make jokes at the table, and you know, and it's all happy. But sometimes, at some point, you'll see the parent go like, oh, watch out, you know, because things could turn, you know. Things could change in a moment. And as human beings, we're kind of aware of this, that things don't last. Or if we're not, at the moment when they pass, we discover that they were not last. And then we grieve. Often we're in shock. I thought this was going to last forever, you know. And this thing, whoops. The hell, the other, the circumstances pass. And so in this practice, we're called to actually take note of this, be alive in the middle of this, what we call impermanence, or the changing nature of experience, to actually notice this, see what things end. end yeah? So you'll be sitting here, there'll be like, suddenly like some kind of calm, sometimes a kind of clarity of sustained presence, and then you're like, I got it, you know, like I got it, and they're like, <laughs> How can I get more of it? Like, I, you, you know, you would want more of it. You would want somebody to know that you have it. You would want to, to make sure you're not going to lose it, you know? I got it, I got it. Did you, guys, I got it, I did. <laughs> and so there's a stress that can come with it, you know, because you feel it, and or it's totally fine as you're in the middle of it, and then it starts to crumble, you know? <laughs> suddenly doubt creeps in, or tiredness, or disinterest creeps in, and then suddenly you're like, oh, it's gone, that beautiful state. You know, and then you'll come to interview maybe and say like, "Okay, yesterday, you know, this, I took the nap, twenty minutes, and then I came. This was the condition. Then I sat. It was so quiet. Like so, today I didn't take the nap. I, I, I didn't come from the outside. I came from the inside, like I did yesterday. And I sat, and it didn't work the same way. Why? You know? <laughs> because things are impermanent, evanescent, ephemeral. You know." And so we're invited here to become aware of this. If you want to call it anicca dukkha, the dukkha of change, if you want to, you could tomorrow when you see this in action, you know, you're in the middle of something sweet and suddenly you have the fear of losing it, notice it. It's like, oh, the dukkha of change is being made aware for me, you know. Or when the thing actually does change, yeah. So imagine uh, somebody that you love uh, gently striking your hair if you have some <laughs> <laughs> or your neck you know like just like somebody you love they do this you know it's a pleasant experience yeah imagine the same thing happening 4 hours later 
the person still gently <laughs> striking you. You know, it's the anicca. Suddenly it's the same gesture, the same loving person, but you're starting to be irritated by this. <laughs> it's like, okay, stop, enough. You know? So things can't keep satisfying us. It's not in their nature. You think like, when I get this thing, you know, this thing, and then I get this thing, recognized in this way, or that job, or that situation, and, you know, it just doesn't last, because it cannot provide forever. Things are shaky. They will change, or our relationship with it which will change. Yeah. So you're, we're invited in this practice to notice it when it's happening. We don't have to dig for it, but it's good to know about it, and when it actually is there, it can actually, one of the things that might happen for you is what we call sometimes vipassana joy. Is suddenly you'll see something disappear that you cherished in some ways, that was sweet for you, and you'll see it disappear, and you'll have some kind of, some kind of joyful tenderness about it. It's like, oh my God, the teachings are true. This is gone. <gasps> Yeah. The other day I um, went running with one of my friends and so we arrived at the point for when, from when we uh, run and we locked our two bikes there and we went running in the Mont Royal. And on the way back, suddenly we came and our bikes were not there anymore. <laughs> and, and I was like, it looked like a magic show. <laughs> like, you know, like you, you, you see the... the <laughs> The thing, the bikes are there, and you s- look again, and they don't exist anymore. <laughs> and I remember I, I, I had like a, wow, they're gone. Like, it's true, things are impermanent. <laughs> <laughs> and they cannot be totally owned, you know, because somebody can take them, you know. Like, and I was like, huh, the bikes, they're gone, they're gone. And then we looked, and it was the wrong, uh, <laughs> 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 looking at the wrong bus stop uh, pole. All that joy for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, so in here you can you can, you might be able to see this. So you see the relationship changing to the dukkha. Maybe not all the time. It's not that easy, and some things will will just have to mourn and grieve and rage about the loss, you know. But there might be some little things you'll see that are pleasant that disappear, and you can you can totally be okay with that. Then the dukkha is different. It's not the dukkha of. Uh, it's just. Uh, it's still. It's still unsatisfactory. It cannot provide satisfaction. So the Buddha says nothing in this world, uh, made of this world, can provide lasting satisfaction, because it's in it nature to change. It's dynamic. It's conditional. It arises, and the conditions are right, and it passes. So we are called in this practice to notice this deeply, deeply, to witness this, to feel this, to understand this in experience. <gasps> Look at that. Not as I wanted. What is that experience? Wake up to it. Separated from what I wanted. Caught with what I don't want. That is a universal experience. There's another kind of dukkha that we could talk about is a subtle one. This kind of dukkha um, is the way I would want to talk about this tonight would be to say that it's the dukkha of um, thing being uh, unsubstantial in a way. 
Think about your life, all your life up to now. Where is this? Where is this? This is a word I, I heard to the ineffable. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's not just that it passes, it's that it's without substance. It's kind of dreamlike. You know, things that were, you know, where is the dinner we had? It's kind of, it's non-existent. How amazing is that? It's totally not there anymore. You can't have access to this. It's gone. So, at Like this moment right now, whoops, it's gone. You know, and here's another one. But, you know, the, the things that we try to catch the present moment, we've been trying to do this for 20 years. It's not possible to actually catch it. You can have a glimpse of it, like a, a passing impression of it, but life is a series of impressions. You can't actually stop things from, you know, the moments of knowing escapes all the time. There's something that, anyway, that would be one way to talk about this. So here in this practice this week, we're invited to notice that there are impressions. You sit outside, it's beautiful weather. 20 minutes later, you're inside here. This experience is going to be unrecoverable, completely gone, non-existent, gone. That's one way to talk about this. And so you can imagine that a mind that is very busy with what I'll do next week and what I'll do is very conceptual, very... You don't have access to this. It will take a mind that is pacified some, what we do here, bring the attention again and again, settle the attention, stay, learn to stay, not the mind that is scattered, next week, last week, me, how I'm perceived, how I perceive the other, what I think about this, but uh, not scattered, but gathered. A mind that is gathered and pacified, that can stay, then, you know, we will open the door to seeing this in a kind of a close contact or a high quality encounter with life, you know, so that we can see how Thoughts cross the mind and disappear. They're gone. Ideas, you know. If you sometimes on retreat, there are writers who come, you know, and they and they suffer like hell because they can't write down their ideas, you know. But we say to them, like, look, that's an amazing chance you have to see the ephemeral nature of ideas. You know, a great idea comes to your mind and you don't have access to it. Even maybe the stock. Mm. 20 minutes after it's gone, you'll be like, what was he talking about again? <laughs> it won't be accessible anymore. Yeah. And so, anyway, we can play a little bit in there with this. The second noble truth, maybe I'll do a series on these, so, with the other talk in a couple of days, but the second noble truth is uh, the cause of our suffering the cause of our suffering, it says in this teaching, and then you'll be invited again to experience it in real time in your practice this week, to see like, oh, I just got it. It's the craving, the clinging, the when we get attached to something, we cling to something, 
the craving of wanting to be, wanting to have, or wanting to not be. So notice, anytime you don't want to be where you are, the experience of not wanting to be here, wanting it to be finished, the sitting, wanting to be back home, wanting to be, I don't know if you have a sense like after the interview that the teacher thought this or this of you, or they just saw you, how you served your potato salad when you dropped some, you know, and then you're like, oh, how did they perceive, I want to be seen as a good student. If that is alive in you at some point, notice this, the wanting to be perceived in a certain way, wanting to feel a certain way. All these are active a lot inside of us, you know. So the Buddha was saying, it's not the fact that things are impermanent and ephemeral and changing that is the problem. That can be totally fine. It's if you want it to be otherwise. If you want something else to be there than what is there, that is problematic. So anytime you want a different reality, a different self, a different circumstances, every time your mind gets it, and you can feel the ouch of it, I want it now. It's not like an intention, a sense of direction. You know, We can have that. There can be desire without the clinging. There can be a sense that I'm going to take care of this, and I'm going to, you know, finish this whatever project, you know, but without the, will I, will it work, it has to work, it has to work now, in my own version, my own way. So, again, this week we have many opportunities to notice this when the mind is like, I don't want this, I want something else, I want to be experiencing something else, or to have something. Notice the ouch in the heart. It can be uh, really recognized. In a more subtle way, if you've been practicing for a while, uh, one form of clinging, subtle and sometimes not so subtle at all, is uh, one form of clinging, cause of suffering, is appropriation, identification. Anushka was talking some about this today. Were you using the word adhering? Did I hear this? No, I'm making this up. But you were talking about <laughs> identification, ownership, taking ownership of things. The Buddha, in his teaching, seemed to have said, anything that you really take as me or mine, or I, you're probably mistaken, and it's probably going to hurt. <laughs> so... You know, you take this body to... I know for myself, let's make it a personal example. Unknowingly, unconsciously, not knowing... I didn't. I was not aware of this. There was a time in my life where I thought that I was healthy. I was health. That health was me. I was a healthy young person and this was me. And suddenly I went... One day I went to the doctor and he said, you actually are not healthy, you're in very bad health, you know. Your system is not well, it's shutting down, you know. And the shock for me, because I was identified, I didn't think that health was something that was happening when the conditions were right, and at some point it was changing. It was always possible that it could be changing. I was not aware of this. I thought I was healthy. I thought I was healthy. 
had I identified with something impermanent changing, not mine. It was really there. There was health. But it was not me. I couldn't own it. It couldn't define me. Because it was gone. You know? And then there was a crisis. Because, you know, where would I... Who was I then? And, you know... So there was an experience of separation from what I want. Do you recognize this? Dukkha? You know? And there had been a wrong identification. I really thought... I mean, I've done this mistake so many times. I thought sometimes people were mine my partner and suddenly they go like, no you're mine you know I, un- <laughs> I really believe this I mean it was revealed at the moment where they left you know <laughs> oh I really thought they were mine but they were not mine nothing can be mine it just can't because things are conditional they come my memory no memory there can be memory here but if it's mine when it goes there's going to be suffering. Yeah? So anything that we... The Buddha was saying, anything that you cling as I or mine is a a mistaken view. So again, that kind of sets the tone for the... uh, Is that the right expression? That says the work that has to be done of clarifying things, you know? Because my pleasure, my opinions, you know, when they are actually changing things, you know. Like the chairs here. You might think, this is my chair. Why is this person on my chair? You know? And if next week, one day you're at home, ding dong, you open the door, it's Pascal there with one brown blue chair, you know? And I say, hey, here's your chair. You're like, this is not my chair. <laughs> this is a chair. <laughs> The sense of I is always kind of changing, attaching itself to something and then fearing about losing it. And, you know, and in the end, it's good to actually see this. Like how my, I don't agree, you know. My opinion is such and such. And then, you know, you really listen to CBC and somebody more clever than you exp- express an idea that is a little different and suddenly you just change allegiance, you know, (laughs) my new opinion, you know, this is what I think about this, it's not yours, you took it from somebody else, you know, (laughs) made it yours, you know, can you really own this, is there anything that you can truly own, so that's the second truth, partly, of uh, owning, uh, clinging, grasping, taking something that is not mine to be mine, so, I don't know if you remember, last night Anushka was talking about one word that she repeated three times. What was it? Renunciation, renunciation, renunciation. On this path, we're going to be invited to let go of everything in terms of I, mine, or me. We're going to learn, maybe, to take really good care of what arises in the mind, in the heart, to take care of the body, but to truly, deeply understand that this is not ours. It cannot be totally owned, appropriated, because these are conditional things. They appear due to other things, you know, your intelligence, your status, your anything is not totally yours, you know. And this, please do not believe. 
that is the teaching of the Buddha. Do not believe anything said here. Become really aware in a kind of awareness of a high quality so that you can see for yourself if it's true or not. This is the only reason why we teach what we teach and the Buddha taught what he taught. It's a like a method of independence we teach. Don't believe anything. We'll show you a method that uh, you can clarify things for yourself. You won't have to believe anybody. Those who say this, those who say the opposite, you'll have such clarity of mind, such capacity to feel into things, to experience them directly, that you'll know for yourself whatever is true, to be true or not true. This is why I like this practice a lot because it seems to me that it's a practice of independence. I am taught a method to see for myself. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I can go on a little bit to the third noble truth. The third noble truth is the truth of the end of suffering. And what is the end of suffering? It's the release of any kind of clinging, grasping ownership. Any kind of, uh, not the relative ownership, you know. One can say, my children, my house. But one understands deeply that these are transient things in life and that I cannot totally own. Do you understand this? Do you see something in this? that I can say this is my house, but deeply I have enough wisdom to know that it might be lost, it might, things might happen to my apartment, you know, that it can't be mine. So the clarification of this is the end of suffering. The Buddha said, any clinging that is release is the end of suffering. So... And in the practice, we can experience sometimes this kind of momentary nirvana, we could call it. So, you know, at some point you're sitting here, let's say, and somebody's breathing in a way that is displeasurable for you. you know, that breather, you know. <laughs> and they should not allow, they should screen people before retreat, you know, how they <laughs> breathe. Can they breathe silently, you know. And you might have a strong opinion and want to talk to them. And no, I won't talk. I'll write a really lovely letter, you know, to make them know, know that there's other ways to breathe. And, you know, like, and you're suffering. And you're suffering. You're clinging to your views. You're clinging to your pleasantness that has been, is gone because of the... And it's, it's and, you know, and at some point, it's so exhausting that something happens in the heart. Maybe it's like, ah... Oh, Breathe the whatever way you want. You know? <laughs> and the person keeps breathing the way they want or the way they do. You know, and suddenly it's the same reality. But the clinging is gone. And then you're like, oh my God. The same situation, but the mind is not making a tr- problem out of it. The clinging has been released. You know? Can you, do you recognize something in there? Where suddenly it's like, oh, this is just how it is right now. This is how it is right now. And then suddenly this compassion for this struggling being that you are. <gasps> My love, you're all worked up with this. Let them breathe the way they want. <laughs> <laughs> this or anything else, really. You know. 
so one can see that the uh, that's the good news is that the the actual the release of suffering is actually a, m- a mind activity it's not out there it's not so much out there as inwardly that one can release the suffering by releasing the clinging and then one can experience the freedom of that you know that from going from something you don't accept to something you accept oh this is how it is this is how it is and then you can notice that something actually can still be uh, not what you would want what you would wish for what you would have chosen but that you can actually be with that situation okay you know you go from I can't believe they said that I can't believe they said that at some point okay this is what was said what do we do about it now you know I said that, or somebody else said that, but there's an acceptance that can come. Okay, this was said, I said that, this was foolish. Okay, I accept that. What can I do about it now? So one can feel the relief of the the absence, the letting go of clinging, right? And so here this week, we're invited to notice this, when the mind is charged, reactive about something, and when suddenly, move. Maybe it let go, it lets go, and it can actually allow whatever, you know, it could be the pain in the knee, allow it to be there. Oh, and suddenly, it's interesting, there's an experience of freedom, or momentary freedom, or relative freedom, in imperfect circumstances. And one can see that, oh, I can totally be with this, exactly like that. And it's totally fine, and it's so not what I would have wished. But here we are. It's like this. And that is a very beautiful mind state. The confidence can come, the caring heart can shine forth, and the happiness is not related to having what we want. It's related to how we show up to what is happening. You know? So it's internal. It's internal. I go back to the second noble truth of clinging. This one particular—I mean, there's so many ways the mind can cling. It, the mind has no kind of—I uh, don't know if it's pride about how it clings. No, uh, it doesn't mind. <laughs> it can cling in one particular way that m- makes me laugh a little bit, and it's kind of sad. But it, we do this. Notice that some t- how you might really cling, have the wish the want for the past to have been different in some ways. Something of the past that you want, and you'll spend hours thinking about, like, oh, I could have said this, they could have said this, it could have been like this, they could have... And we could spend a lot of time clinging or wishing, wanting a different past. I find this one fascinating, as the past has happened, you know, that the mind has no problem with that (laughs) (laughs) and one expression that we hear sometimes I don't know exactly who it comes from but losing hope of a better past how freeing this can be to say like oh you know I don't have I can let go of this one this is really what happened it did happen like that you know although I didn't want it to happen like that and I I'm kind of obsessed, like why I sit here wanting to be with the breath, but I keep returning to the past because I'm clinging to it. You know? And in practice I can at some point re- realize, like, oh, what's, there's a lot of suffering around it. 
Is it possible to just, oh, this is how it was. This is what happened. Oh my God. Then you notice you don't have to change it. There can be some kind of experience of freedom with the past being as it was. Amazing. Oh, this is how it was. This is what happened. In this practice, through this practice, we say it's possible to actually go so deep in understanding how things are intuitively. Huh? So it's not an intellectual understanding, it's a insight, vipassana, uh, translated by insight, that means a deep, embodied, penetrative knowledge. A knowledge that is not something I thought about, but I soaked in it so well that it got clarified for me, really clarified, that the depth of the clarity we can uh, gain is going to uproot any possibility of future clinging. Our understanding of the ephemeral, changing, uncontrollable, shaky nature of reality will be so deep that the mind will never even think of clinging. It's not going to be a possibility. This is the depth of this possible, it's said in this practice, that one can clarify things so well that the mind will never even have the kind of bend towards trying to own anything, appropriate anything, identify with anything. It will just be clear that hearing is happening, thinking is happening, and the capacity to know, oh, this kind of mind state is wholesome, is beneficial. This kind of mind state is not helpful. You know, and the capacity to let it go. So that's one way to talk about the third noble truth of, um, wow, my timing is good. <laughs> 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 this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not this my timing, it's this timing. <laughs> so here in the practice, we work things in this way a bit. No, we say, oh, don't s- try to play with the labeling in this way. Hearing, hearing is happening. You know, bahia that uh, Anushka was talking about is, the, is that deep understanding. Don't own anything. In the seeing, just seeing is happening. In the hearing, hearing is happening. Don't cling to anything, you know. In the practice here, we notice. We notice how we make a self. We make, we create a self. We tell the story of a self. I was like this. I'm going to be like this. I hope I'll be like this. We keep investing in self, investing in self, you know. It's stressful. So when we do this, we can notice, oh, look at this, how fascinated I am with self. Project of self-improvement and self-acquiring something and self being seen in some ways, you know. I, I, and so we can notice, no, not judging, just notice how it arises all the time. You know? And so the truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the end of suffering is possible. And we're, I'm throwing little ideas about what it means and how it can be done, you know, so it's kind of impressionistic maybe. And then the last truth 
the end the path to the end of suffering is actually what we are doing here what we are doing here and uh, mindfulness is one of the aspects of what will bring about the end of this uh, suffering this clarification of what is the nature of rea- reality being really attentive really high value put on this being really attentive letting go of our preconceived ideas and meeting experiences for the first time as as if it was for the breathing as if for the first time discovering what is fear what is calm what is boredom let me get acquainted with this in real time you know how what is the tone of arrogance what is the tone of self-deprecation let me feel these you know? so mindfulness but mindfulness alone doesn't do it it's not the path of the buddha mindfulness is part of a system it comes with generosity it comes with ethics uh, it comes with a wise view and they all feed each other you know if i want um, really have non-harming as a high value it will require for me to be attentive to my words and deeds you know so my mindfulness will feed my non-harming my non wanting my intention to not cause harm will invite uh, attention you see the wise understanding like maybe hopefully this talk here is bringing some understanding about how to be mindful you know how oh, it's not just being mindful because uh, people rub houses are very mindful <laughs> they have to be but they're not doing it in a system where there is non-harming where there is generosity where there is a uh, the development of wisdom so of course it's not going to liberate the mind you know it's done in a, um, probably wrong understanding of what leads to what what leads to happiness do you see this so the mindfulness we bring has to be uh, it comes with a lot So one of the things I'm trying to do tonight is say yes being mindful is one thing but we want to be mindful of the mind that clings we want to be mindful of being what is the experience of separation from what we want when it's happening we want to be mindful of wanting to be somebody else when it's happening or wanting to not be if you're sitting here and you don't want to engage with the next sit you know like I don't want to be here I don't want notice this cause of suffering the buddha said when you don't want to be you know it's painful it's difficult notice the difficulty in wanting to not be who you are not feel what you feel notice the difference when you're able to feel what you feel whatever it is pleasant or unpleasant when you're like oh it doesn't feel so good to be this person right now look at that there's trouble in this heart this confusion oh this is how it is right now then the heart you can feel the heart opens and so the path is uh the path of um uh, caring so there's uh in this path we just to finish I'll say in this path we talk about livelihood for example how one earns a living or how one lifestyle how one spend uh, their time or resources you know 
that somebody just mindfulness is not going to be enough when we'll have to really become aware, mindful of how they contribute to society. You know, that is definitely part of the path. You know, how they participate in society. When we'll have to become aware of uh, their intentions, intention to harm, or to be generous. <coughs> intention to hide the truth or to reveal it, you know. So, I hope I'm not creating more confusion <laughs> than there might be. I hope uh, I'm not putting on stress. You're like, oh my God, I have to catch all this. <laughs> But just, uh, how could we simplify all this? I would say big part of my practice is to notice when I'm separated from what I want. Just to, and I use this exact sentence that comes from the Buddha. It's like, oh, Pascal, separated from what you want. You know, in a slight way or in a big way. Let's feel this. Let's be in the middle of that. That's a human universal experience. People are constantly separated from what they want, a little bit or in big ways. Let me slow down instead of blaming, blaming me, blaming the others. Just notice. I would like to feel like this and I don't. Look at that. How poignant is that? Yeah? Already we're in the Four Noble Truths. You know? So let's just sit for a moment here. dissolve and then vanish. if you can allow life to be just as it is right now, unfolding, manifesting in this way, inwardly, physically, outwardly.
be able to touch life very closely, to experience it very closely and reveal all the movements of the heart, the liberating ones and the entangling ones. Maybe may we be able to bring great clarity. May we find depth of freedom in this life just as it is. Ephemeral, changing, dynamic, uncertain. We have 20 minutes here of uh, walking, and then we'll come to together to end the evening in silence and sitting. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.